0: This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to another episode of Breaking Pod. I'm joined, as always, on the other line by Josh Goldman. Josh, how's your evening going?
1: Oh, it's going well out here in Washington, D.C. It is hot and humid, but we are officially into summer, so I cannot complain too much. How are things in Colorado?
0: They are also going well. We are feeling summer here. I mean, summer for us, I think, is not as, well, certainly not as humid as it is for you. And it's a little bit cooler, but it's still hot. And because, because we don't have sweltering summers here, houses don't have air conditioning a lot of the time. And so our house is one of those that does not but it does have this thing called a swamp cooler. Have you heard about this?
1: I have not, no.
0: So a swamp cooler, this is all, I've I've learned all this in the past few weeks. A swamp cooler basically takes in water, runs it through these giant pads and uses evaporative air to cool or evaporative uh, processes from the water to cool the air that's going through the machine and then blow that air into the house. So it's basically a cheaper alternative to air conditioning. And uh, it doesn't work as well, so that's the uh, that's the takeaway from here. So uh, it's pretty hot in our upstairs, especially right now. Our uh, our girls were complaining about it when they went to bed, and so we had to do everything we could to to keep them cool. So we're we're suffering through a hot, you know, eighty degree Colorado summer day here.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, there's got to be some marketing person who can get on a better name for Swamp Cooler. That's I know, a right?
0: Good name. I think. Well, I think the technical term is evaporative cooler. And I think swamp cooler, it, maybe maybe swamp cooler was come up was uh, developed by the you know mechanical air conditioning apostles when they were trying to tell people, hey, you need something better than that swamp cooler you've got. The roof there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's you really up with a carrier product. Unit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, Zach, have well, you been
1: doing some. Have you been doing some uh, some renovations over your way?
0: I sure have. Absolutely. Yeah. I, How's uh, that going? Just call me. Just call me the handyman now, Josh. Uh, <laughs> it's been going great. So. We uh, moved into this house, and uh, this house did not have a bathtub. And as you know, having a kid, it's important to have a bathtub, right?
1: So it's essential.
0: It is. So uh, as a stopgap solution, we got this like little tiny inflatable bathtub from Amazon, but uh, that doesn't that doesn't grow with your kids, you know. So uh, we had to get a bathtub. We got a quote from somebody that said it was going to be fifty five hundred dollars to do a renovation. And ooh, I was like, that is ooh, that absurd. is a lot of and money. I am not paying that. So instead, I just called a plumber and I was like, "Hey, can you guys do a bathtub install? I'll take care of everything else." And so I uh, had to rip out the old stuff and you know um, do all the demolition, or as they call it in the business, I've learned the demo. (laughs) Uh, So I had to had to do all the demo, and then the plumber came in, installed that, and now I'm doing all the finishing stuff, so all the you know the drywall and paint and caulk and everything. So it's been it's been a bigger project than I initially anticipated, but it's been going well, and I'm fortunately now in the final stages of it. I've, I've had a very generous neighbor because I don't have tools with me yet uh, from our movers. I've had a very generous neighbor who just gave me everything I could ever possibly need for this project. And I've been going after it. So,
1: you know, there's something to be said for, for using your own hands to, to make something.
0: I agree. Yeah. At one point in my life, I was into like basic carpentry and I was making some furniture. I know you were making a, like a stool, right? I remember listening to that on the podcast.
1: Yes, so, uh, on our other on the other show, the popped I've that I do with my wife, I've been talking well, for well over a year that I've been making <laughs> a stool. It it's, it's still not made. So Zach, okay. we will it will not be mentioned again on this podcast.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, Josh, are you ready to talk about season two, episode two? Yeah, let's get
1: into it. Action packed episode. Yeah, it really is.
0: This episode's called Grilled, and uh Josh, I know that as you said, it is action-packed, but the action-packed part of it is a little bit deceiving because so much of this episode, as we'll talk about, is really wrapped up in tense moments of people just sitting around looking at each other, uh, or as as we'll talk about, you know, a man who has lost the ability to speak really ratcheting up the tension. So it's really remarkable the way they do it, but what I want to do here is give our sort of two-minute summary at the outset, and then we'll talk about what we think are the best scenes, uh, best writing, and best moments of this episode, and then we'll we'll close with some. Knits to pick and some final thoughts. So, uh Josh just stop me here and add anything if I if I miss anything important, but we start out with Walt and Jesse of course having been kidnapped by Tuco at the end of episode 1. They're being held somewhere it looks like in the New Mexico desert. We don't know exactly where uh with Tuco and Tuco's sick uncle named Hector. Hector is uh unable to speak and he's quadriplegic. So he's in a wheelchair. Um he does have some uh some sort of uh digital movement of his fingers so he can ring this little bell. Attached to his chair when he when he needs something or wants something, and he can try to communicate with basically one chiming bell. Um, we don't know Hector's backstory at this point, but it looks like it's probably due to some sort of degenerative neurological disease that he has. Um, so that's where they are. That's uh, Walt and Jesse. Then we cut to uh, Hank and the DEA. They're closing in on Tuco. They just raided his headquarters that morning. Got a bunch of his lieutenants, but they missed out on Tuco, obviously. Tuco uh, obviously feels the pressure, and that's probably why he's now holed up in the New Mexico desert with um, Walt and Jesse, as we'll find out soon. In addition, Tuco thinks that Gonzo, um, that was one of the two henchmen who were in the junkyard with Walt and Jesse earlier for the deal, um, the one who was not beaten by uh, Tuco, he thinks that Gonzo is informing on him to the police. But actually, uh, as a matter of fact, Gonzo went back to the junkyard to try to move his buddy's body after Tuco killed his buddy. And then, unfortunately, had a piece of a car fall on him and, and impale him. And that's why Gonzo's dead. But Tuco thinks he's alive and informing. Tuco tells Walt and Jesse that he's waiting for his cousins to pick him up and them. And he says, basically, I had this idea. We're going to go to Mexico. We're going to cook all the time. It's going to be a great operation, et cetera. And so Jesse and Walt are like, we can't do that. And Walt says, you know, I have, I have a life here. I have a family. Um, and Walt and Jesse, as you recall from the rice and beans moment of the last episode, have this plan to uh, make ricin and deliver that somehow to, uh, to Tuco. So what they've done is they've taken a little bag of meth, uh, laced it with ricin, and now they're trying to convince Tuco to, to take some, but he declines um, for reasons that we'll talk about <laughs> shortly. Uh, then we see Hank taking some personal time after Skyder asks him to help find Walt. Um, none of the characters at this point connects Walt's disappearance with the ongoing Tuco manhunt. Uh, Steve Gomez, Hank's buddy, thinks it might be suicide, but then Hank tranks, tracks down Jesse's parents because he remembers Skyler telling him that Jesse was Walt's drug dealer. Uh, he uh, talks to Jesse's mom, who doesn't know where Jesse is either, but but he does uh, find out that Jesse has a low jack on his car for locating where the car is. We see Tuco uh, makes some delicious looking food for Walt and Jesse. It makes me hungry every time I see that scene. Uh, Jesse and Walt try to poison uh, Tuco's burrito with with the ricin. But Hector sees it and basically is able to to warn Tuco. And then uh, communicate to Tuco that they're trying to put one over on him. Uh, so then Tuco takes them outside. He threatens to shoot them. They overpower him. They end up shooting him. He, uh, he lies on the ground. Jesse and Walt uh, go away. Um, or they get back in Jesse's car. And then as, as they do that, they see someone coming up the road. They think it's Tuco's cousins coming back. So then they run away. Turns out to be Hank. Hank and Tuco get in a shootout. Hank shoots Tuco. Um, Tuco is, is now pretty clearly dying. Uh, then Jesse and Walt have watched this whole scene from the cover of some shrubs. And then they run off as Hank tries to piece together what just happened. So now Hank is the DEA agent who was looking for Tuco that morning. Tuco paused to find Walt. Figured Walt w- might have been with his known associate Jesse Pinkman. Finds Jesse Pinkman's car and who is there but Tuco. So um, lots of uh, disparate pieces of information that Hank's trying to piece together there. And that's where we end. So, Josh, did I miss anything in that in that summary?
1: No, I think you covered it all. But I will say that the scene between Hank and Jesse's mom, let's just say that won't be making an appearance as best scene. (laughs) <laughs> it's 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 pretty rough to watch I don't know if it's the acting from the person who played Jesse's mom, but it just feels a little bit forced i mean it's necessary in the context of of plot development, but let's just say she won't be receiving the m v p vote
0: either yeah I think that's true it's It's one of those scenes where it's hard to know if this is the actor or actress who's doing a really good job making it awkward or if they're just awkward, right? And not yeah, good yeah. at not good at conveying the scene, you know? Cuz it is one of those scenes like I can imagine you have a son who's been sort of chronically in trouble with the law as a pothead method uh dealer and you have a DEA agent now DEA agent now show up on your doorstep in plain clothes, not being super forthcoming about who he, like I can imagine being a little uncomfortable with that and acting's kind of kind of awkward in that conversation, but you're right it's not clear if that's what we're seeing or if we're just seeing someone who's kind of having trouble acting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah 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 let's hope it's the former let's hope yeah, it's the former
0: yeah it, it is it is hard if i were uh if i were an actor trying to make it in these uh you know in these small time roles i would really be bummed to get one of those roles where they're like okay just act like you can't act you know act like you're <laughs> yeah. act like you're really awkward because that'd be it'd be a bummer for you to actually show off what you're capable of um, yeah, okay and, you
1: know you know, she honestly she wasn't she wasn't terrible in the first time we saw her, uh, you know, right. in season one. So that's true. So maybe we'll give her the benefit of the doubt that it was that it was the scene that she was supposed to be acting like that, you know, based on the writing. So
0: I think I think that's fair. I also think it's one of this show's strengths that there are no really weak characters really throughout the entire show that I can think of. There's no one who just brings on a totally cringeworthy acting performance. It's pretty it's pretty consistently good throughout, I would say ranging from like good to obviously, you know, excellent uh, in the case yeah. of, you know, Brian Cranston's best work, et cetera.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that.
0: Okay, well, let's go on to best scene, best writing, and best moment. Let's start with best scene, Josh. Um, I'll let you throw up your nominee first.
1: So I think we actually have a similar scene here. You're, you've you've picked an extended sequence here, and I've picked a, a more specific part of the scene. But But the scene is basically towards the end of the episode when – when they are trying to get Tuco to eat this rice and laced burrito, and it's it's you know you're on the edge of your seat, and they can't get him to do it, but. Towards the end of that scene, as Zach mentioned in the recap, we see Hector try to warn Tuco using no words. It's completely nonverbal and he's using his bell. And because Tuco has sort of a shorthand with his uncle, he seems to be able to ask yes or no questions that will essentially blow the cover of Walt and Jesse. And I just feel like the, the tension that's built up without using you know, verbal cues is really amazing. And so uh, we'll hear a little bit of that scene right now.
0: Take it easy, deal. I will feed you. I eat first. That's the deal.
1: Okay, Zach, what did you think of this, this, uh, the end to this scene?
0: So uh, I thought it was really good. Uh, like you, I chose this this extended scene as the best. I think I didn't quite have in mind this portion of it like you did. Um, but I thought the ending was was very well done. Basically, in this whole scene, I think what I think is most remarkable about it is that it's. I, I counted it. It's almost 10 minutes of footage where they're basically just sitting in this living room of this rural New Mexico farm, presumably owned by Hector, I guess, or maybe it's just one of Tuco's safe houses. And they're trying to figure out how to get the 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 rice in the burrito, right? You gotta get him to take this. Well, he don't much like the taste of chili pea. That much has been established. So unless you can convince him to booty bump, and they figure that out, and then uh, and then over that uh, that you know span of the next ten minutes, they are basically trying to figure out when they can do it, and how they can do it, and whether or not they can get. Tuco to eat it. And he's he's literally about to eat it when you hear the bell, right? And it's the bell that sort of like like snaps you back to reality. Like you're you're with Walt and Jesse, you're just about to watch them take out this guy who's caused them so much pain. And then ding, you're kind of snapped back to reality, right? And then basically over the course of the next two or three minutes, you watch Tuco gradually escalate from from being like calm, rational Tuco to being these psychotic madmen that we've seen before. And then you're, you're, you're sort of gradually, uh, your expectation of them getting out of this scot-free gradually diminishes and diminishes over the course of that two or three minutes until, obviously, the, the climactic moment when, when Duco drags them outside and holds a gun in their faces.
1: Yeah, you know how I view this scene as sort of like someone is is taking a, a gun and they're cocking back the hammer, and the whole scene is pretty much the cocking back of the hammer, and then right at the end you get the 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 bell, the ding, the 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 hammer's in place, and then the trigger gets pulled, and it's and you know sort of all hell breaks loose from there.
0: Yeah, that's a really good analogy. I like that a lot because it is it's all loading, it's all yeah pulling the hammer back, and then. The ding is what sort of sets us off, and you're like, "Oh boy, here we go." We've seen this. We've seen this movie before, right? Where Tuco, uh, Tuco goes off. So, pretty good, pretty good. Um, Yeah. And there, there are a number of good scenes in there, but I think that for me was an easy vote because it's the longest single scene, and it's the climactic one of the show. It's, it's clearly what the rest of the episode is pointing towards.
1: Yeah, I think that it it also builds nicely to the point where you know you're going to get some sort of a resolution to this by the end of the episode because it's built for so long. And if you had bottled all that up and not given a resolution, I think it would have fallen really flat. So I think they did a really smart thing by taking the time to build up the tension, but then releasing that tension, you know, just a few moments later in sort of the climax of this of this entire episode.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Should we go on to best writing?
1: Yeah, let's do it. What is your nominee for best writing of this episode?
0: So, so this is a really simple one, and uh, I want to play it here. But I will add that the visual is is what's really necessary. But here is a conversation between Tuco and Walt happening in the New Mexico house. As soon as they get there, Tuco wants to make sure that that uh, he can trust Walt. Answer me one thing: Can I trust you? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So I think this, for me, took the cake as as the uh, best writing nominee, Josh, because the uh, the visual, like I said, goes really well with it. And let me back up a little bit. So in Better Call Saul, if you're if, if any of our listeners are fans of that show, you might remember that Tuco is a character in that, and and Tuco has what uh, what one of his associates calls the, his lie detector. And Tuco's lie detector is where he basically just sits across the table from someone and stares at them for an extended period of time, like 60 seconds, two full minutes, three full minutes, just stares at them to try to figure out whether or not they're trustworthy. So what Tuco is doing to Walt here is, is a basically the, a mini version of the lie detector. He's holding Walt close to his face, staring right at him and saying, just tell me one thing. Can I trust you? And when I watched this the first time, uh, what I saw here was a man, Walt, who was afraid for his life because he was kidnapped by Tuco. And now Tuco is, is basically saying, can I trust you? And Walt is saying, yes, absolutely. Because Walt thinks that's what Tuco wants to hear, right? Well, and I watched it a second time, and Josh, I don't know if you saw the same thing that I did. I saw it in the same way. Um, I saw Walt returning Tuco's crazy stare, uh, you know, eye for eye looking right back at him in the eyes and saying yes absolutely not in a like timid i'm scared sort of way but in a uh, i can i can play this game too sort of way and so what we see here is not walt the meek mannered chemistry professor father of two uh you know who's in over his head but walt the uh the, the the wannabe drug kingpin who's now going to potentially compete with Tuco for that that throne. Um, maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it, but I really like that, and I thought it was very well done by the two actors in the scene. Like I said, the visual is kind of uh, part and parcel of this, and you need, to, you need to see what you're hearing as well, but I think you can also hear it in Brian Cranston's voice. If you listen carefully in, in the scene we just played, he doesn't sound timid. He sounds pretty authoritative when he says, yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and I wonder, from your perspective... Do you think that he that that Walt in this moment is aware that he sort of has to play this mental game of really dangerous chess here with Tuco like he has no other choice. So he knows that if he's met with this very serious, do you trust? Can I trust you moment that he has no choice but to respond with? Of course you can. And he has to make sure that he removes all timidness, all, you know, meek mannered, you know, vibe out of his voice. Do you feel like he understands that and that's why he responds that way, or do you think that he actually feels that he is capable of being the big boss here?
0: I think it's impossible to know. I, I think uh, either one is very realistic. Uh it's also possible that it's a combination of the two, but I think it's impossible to know. And I think therein lies the the mystery of breaking bad, right? Like what what exactly are we watching? Are, are we watching this, uh, this enigmatic dark character whose darkness is gradually unfolded to us? Or are we watching this, this man who's sort of fallen in with the crowd and become someone that he wasn't otherwise in order to sort of save himself? Uh, and I, I don't really know, but I think your reading is, is equally plausible. It's just impossible to know. And therein lies the greatness in a way.
1: Yeah, so my my best scene for this episode is actually the one that, that kicks everything off. It's the very beginning of the episode, and this is Hank addressing a room full of DEA agents. He's basically giving them the download on Tuco and what's going on with him, and so we'll hear his monologue to the group of agents right now.
0: Tuco Salamanca.
1: For those of you who were not with us this morning, we raided his headquarters... Also, his last known address, even the little den of inequity equity keeps for his meth hag girlfriend. We netted a bunch of his lieutenants, but the big man himself smelled his coming. So, study the face, study the file, get a big old raging hard on at the idea of catching this piece of
0: shit. Oh, my apologies to the HR department. Grow to mescent with anticipation. All right. Hank is such a great character Josh.
1: Yeah, so I I really like this scene and and it probably you know, it it might have even made my my best scene nomination had it not been for the uh, amazingly tense scene at the end. But the reason that I like this so much is because first of all, it's it's just another great monologue and and here it showcases a character we haven't really seen give a great monologue yet. It's one of many monologues we've seen throughout the show, but I think what it really does nicely is that it establishes hank as someone with authority so previously up to this point we've seen him joke around we've seen him goof off we've seen him even be uncomfortable when dealing with family moments but this is hank in his element and it's it's fun for us as the viewer to watch that and i think it also nicely sets the table for what will basically be a very hank centric episode. And I think the other part that I really like about this this moment is that right after he gives the speech, he leaves the room with with Gomez and they walk out in the hallway and Gomez says, "Man, that was that was really good. That was inspiring." And Hank responds with, "Yeah, we're never going to catch him. He's already in Mexico. There's no chance." <laughs> and so it's yeah. just a really nice sort of 180 kind of a quick humorous moment from Hank as well that that doesn't let you forget that he is kind of humorous at heart.
0: Yeah. I I think that, you know, I've heard people say that Breaking Bad is chilling because you end up sort of cheering for Walt. And to be honest, I've never really felt that way. My At least on my first watch through especially, Hank was the hero to me. And every time I had one of these extended monologues of Hank Schraders, it was sort of comforting to me because Hank is the guy that, Uh, that is, you know, he's law enforcement, right? He's the one who's out there to catch the bad guys who make sure that you can sleep safely at night. And so when he's in his element like this and just, just going on and on, I mean, yeah, you know, parts of it are crude and a little over the top and everything. I sort of chalk that up to like, you know, cop talk. Right. Um, But that, you know, there's something almost comforting, I think as a viewer. And so you're, you know, you're coming off of the first episode of the season with Walt and Jesse kidnapped by Tuco And now you're coming into here and uh, Hank is projecting all this sort of uh, machismo and confidence about how they're going to find him. And that's kind of comforting. But then, like you said, uh, we find out that that even that is all a show, you know, that that they're not going to get to go because Hank's convinced that he's already in Mexico, you know. But even though that moment
1: is humorous, it still shows his awareness of the situation. Like he's been in the business long enough to know that, you know, this is probably not something that's going to be solved. But, you know, he's able to sort of play both sides of that. He's able to be inspiring for his coworkers, but he's also able to be realistic that this might not be something that can be solved because I know this business so well.
0: Right. That's true. Should we go on to best moment?
1: Yeah. Give me your best moment from this episode. Okay.
0: I'm just going to actually play the best moment here and then we can talk about it. He's got a secret ingredient.
1: Secret ingredient
0: chili powder. Hey, chili powder. So, this uh, I think this is maybe going to be a theme for me, Josh. That where the best moment ends up being uh Jesse one liners, uh, (laughs) that prompt other responses from other characters, but um. So this, I mentioned this a little bit in the summary. I didn't want to talk about it too much, but basically this is when Walt and Jesse are trying to get Tuco to try the rice and lice meth, just try it straight up and snort it. And Tuco's about to, it's on his pinky. He's ready to go. Jesse is, you know, going off with his big mouth about how powerful this is, how much of a kick it has, et cetera. And then Jesse says, it's got a secret ingredient. And you can see Walt sort of put his head in his hands like, oh no, you've said too much. And uh, Tuco says, what is it? And Jesse says chili powder. And that's when, it, of course, Tuco says, I hate chili powder. So a couple things here. One, it's uh, Jesse coming up with, with something so stupid. I mean, I've never done meth. I never planned to, but I can't imagine having chili powder and it would be like, I don't know, a, a, a pro. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll just defer to Jesse on that one. Maybe maybe I shouldn't pick that in it. But um, I thought
1: the exact same thing. I thought yeah. it was like, is there anything you'd want to put in your nose less than chili powder?
0: Exactly. Exactly. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, it's just it's just you know, devastating to their plan, right? Because this, this was their one shot to get out of there. They have the poison. This is their one way that they can kill Tuco, and uh, it's not going to work out. And then the third thing is, um, I think Jesse thought he was really safe telling a, a Mexican or at least a Mexican-born uh, man that there's chili powder in there. And like, what are the chances that Tuco hates chili powder? <laughs> what are the chances? But that's what it is. And so at that moment, you're like, oh, boy. This is getting real.
1: Yeah, I do have a I have a little nit to pick with their plan here because in the in the last episode, Walt pretty clearly described ricin as something that takes a little while to take effect. So it's True. not a poison that that works immediately. It's not as if he would, you know, use the meth laced or the, the ricin laced meth and then drop dead immediately. I think it would take a couple of days, and and by that point, they would be in Mexico with. You know, with all of Tuco's cousins, and then Tuco just drops dead. I, I can't imagine they would end up in a better scenario. Now, that being said, they didn't have a better option at this moment. Right. But it just feels like this, this, this couldn't have been the best possible option. But I guess when you're sitting there scared for your life and worried you're going to be sent to Mexico to cook meth for the rest of your life, then you know this is the best you can come up with.
0: Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about the lack of immediacy. Uh, it does seem like a major flaw in the plan. I wonder, maybe, perhaps the the plan was to, uh, in, you know, in Walt's mind, because he's always the one who thinks ahead. You you know, Jesse didn't have a plan beyond <laughs> the chili powder line, uh, but maybe Walt was thinking, if we can poison him, then you can at least use that as leverage when he knows that he's dying, and you don't tell him what he's poisoned with, and you tell him that if he lets you go, you'll you'll give him basically the uh, the uh, anti toxin or whatever. Um, I don't know. It, yeah, no, that's, that's probably a, a stretch. Point. But uh, no, I
1: mean, it makes sense from Walt's perspective. It, it doesn't make as much sense from Jesse's, since he would have no. It, it's it's clear to this point he doesn't think very far ahead.
0: Right. Right. Um, okay. Uh, well, on that on that point though, of nits to pick. Since so we've done now uh, best moment. Um, oh no, we we uh, you didn't do your best moment. Let's do that.
1: Yeah, Zach, how dare you? I haven't given the best moment yet. <laughs>
0: and this is a good this is a good one too. And I have to say. Uh, when I saw this in our Google document that you wrote that, I was like, "Oh, I didn't actually. I totally glossed over that. I missed that." Yeah. So let's do so,
1: it. So, this is this is a this is a moment that happens towards the very end of the episode. It's not quite at the very end, but after after Jesse and Walt are able to essentially take down Tuco, they bash him over the head with a rock, and then uh, he gets shot. But he doesn't get shot and killed. He basically gets shot and falls into a pit, and instead of sort of like taking mercy on him and just finishing him off, we get this moment from Walt that we're going to play for you right now. Let him bleed. Okay, so what you're hearing there is Tuco writhing in pain at the bottom of this pit while Jesse and Walt stand above him. And the reason that I like this moment, and I hesitate to call it a great moment because it's pretty dark, but I'll say it's a great moment for, for the purposes of, a, of our category here. But it's for a few reasons that I like this moment. The first is that it shows Walt's brutality. I mean, letting someone bleed out at the bottom of a pit is a really rough way to go. I mean, even if they are an evil drug dealer. So, you know, it's it's going to be a really painful way for Tuco to go out of this world. The second thing, though, and probably more important to tie into the overall theme of the show that we've been talking about, is that this moment demonstrates Walt's kind of unfounded hubris. And what I mean by that is, you know, they barely survive this encounter with Tuco It's almost sort of luck that they end up outside, you know, where Jesse has access to a rock that he's able to bash Tuco in over the head. And and all of a sudden, Walt is acting like the godfather here. You know, he's such a good point. Yeah, he he and 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 more than that, it almost comes back to get Hank killed because Hank shows up a couple minutes later. And because in in a way, in a way, it's
0: a miracle. It didn't get him killed because Tuco had a fully automatic weapon and Hank had a pistol.
1: Right. Right. I, I do want to touch on that in a moment when I yeah, have yeah, a, sure. a, a quick to bit. <laughs> but but it also, you know, it almost gets Hank killed and it almost blows his cover as sort of this, uh, uh, you know, emerging kingpin meth dealer and meth maker. So, you know, it's reckless in the moment. Uh, it, it's reckless. But in the moment, Walt is only thinking about how powerful he feels. And I point this moment out because this is not a good sign of things to come.
0: Yeah, uh, I really like your godfather point. I mean, the first one was spot on, too, the brutality. But uh, the fact that that just moments ago, Walt was fearing for his life and being kind of pitiful when Tuco was threatening to kill him now just stands over him, let him bleed, as uh, as Tuco is dying in the pit. It is it's definitely unfounded hubris to the nth degree. Yeah, but so said-
1: before we move... Before yeah, we move on ahead. to your, I know you have a, a nit to pick, which we can go back to. But since we were already talking about this moment where Tuco has this automatic, <laughs> right. you know, weapon, and and Hank has a pistol, which at least they do show him reloading it because you know he would have run out of bullets pretty quickly. Right. But I, I watched this thing recently where these uh, these guys analyzed how movies and TV shows treat the use of guns and how there's never any sort of mention of the fact that shooting an automatic weapon would be a huge kickback, you know, from the, you know, Newton's Newton's law that for every, right. uh, you know, reaction, there's an equal and opposite or for every action, there's an o- equal and opposite reaction. You know, the fact that he's shooting this, this automatic weapon with, with no kickback is, is pretty ridiculous. But even more than that, like Hank's hiding place is behind a car door, Right. Which is just you know anybody who knows anything about guns at all knows that a car door would not stop you know an automatic weapon. That's just a small nit to pick. I know every movie and TV show does it. It's just something I had to point out since I since I did see that analysis done recently.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's not it's not the most extravagant uh, you know sin as far as Hollywood portrayal of guns go, but it oh, is definitely realistic. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the hip firing of the fully automatic uh, weapon uh after by the way, Tuco's already been shot once i mean he's he's handling that uh very <laughs> yeah, well, he, yeah, yeah he's controlling the recoil <laughs> very well that's a good point, yeah, mind it to pick um I just don't understand there's this weird little thing as they arrive at tuco's uh New Mexico hideout the first time or, or or when he opens the door the first time when he's out in the in the uh driveway with them. He opens the door, and Walt has this very weird hallucination of Skyler uh saying i understand and she she's like surrounded by like a halo of light she it reminds me of like the old like pax tv show touched by an angel and she just said i understand and then we're right back to tuco so he was just hallucinating that tuco was skylar saying i understand i really didn't understand that at all i don't know if i was missing something but it seemed very out of place and didn't make a whole lot of sense i took it to just be communicating to us that he was out of it after having been locked in a hot trunk for you know hours uh but that was it. I I don't know what I was supposed to get from that.
1: Yeah. I think that it is supposed to be some sort of nod to the fact that he's really delirious and, and maybe it's something that he wishes he could see that, that Skylar understands what he's doing, but it really is. I think they could have done without this. As I recall, I I haven't, I haven't watched ahead again, but as I recall, this doesn't come back up at all. No, I don't think
0: so. I, I, I also have yet to, press on again but i don't recall that happening. Um, a, a rare
1: misstep, a rare misstep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> indeed. So that's uh, that's mine to pick for this episode. Um as far as broader thoughts and themes before we get get to our MVP vote here for this episode. Josh, do you remember a few episodes ago you asked about Hank's um Hank's competence as a DEA agent when he did not suspect Walt for s- stealing from his own chemistry lab? Yeah, yeah. So at the time i sort of um I, I sort of pushed back on that a little bit and said, no, I think Hank's really competent. But at this point, I'm starting to side with you a little bit on that original question because now not only has has uh, the stolen equipment used for the meth cook and the new meth cook at that come from Walt's high school, but now Walt's disappeared uh, and Walt's drug dealer as, as Hank thinks he is, not as he actually is, Hank thinks that Jesse is Walt's drug dealer Now, Walt's drug dealer's car is found in the middle of a New Mexico desert, um, you know, at a safe house of Tuco Salamanca's, and Tuco is there having just gotten in a, uh, a violent scuffle with somebody, we don't know who, and, uh, Hank shoots him there. And so, like, there are, there are, there's enough stuff there, I think, to definitely start to make Walt look like he might be involved, but it's like it doesn't even cross Hank's mind, and, uh. I I don't want to talk too much about the future, but it won't for a while.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it's because there's just so much going on and and Hank is so surprised when he shows up and Tuco is there. Like, he's expecting to find Jesse Pinkman and he finds Tuco instead. And so I think in the moment, he's not immediately connecting the dots. Now, going forward, I'm not sure why he wouldn't think more clearly about this, and, and maybe he will, but I think in the moment, he's he separated the two. Walt has disappeared for some odd reason. He knows he's dealing with his cancer diagnosis and and the financial struggles and everything. And then he also has this this work related issue with Tuco and I just don't think that he's put two and two together. So interestingly enough, despite the fact that last time I sort of said Hank should be more aware, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here. Like I feel like he, he just has a lot going on and everything with Tuco in this moment at the end is so unexpected that it makes sense that he might not immediately connect the dots.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And I mean, to Hank's credit, at least, uh, we'll find out in the next episode, Walt does devise a very creative uh, excuse for his absence so far that would sort of, uh, I guess, allay suspicion. So, well, that's that's all I have, I think, on this episode for broader thoughts and themes. Do you have anything to touch before we do the MVP vote?
1: No, I think that's all. So let's get into the MVP.
0: Great. So just to remind listeners, the current tally – we have Walt and Skyler in a tie for the lead at four votes apiece. We have Jesse at three, Crazy eight at two, and we'll, we'll hold steady there for the rest of the series, and Tuco at three. And uh, for my vote for this episode, I think there are two major candidates. I'm going to uh, cast my lot with the late Tuco Salamanca, though, who obviously dies at the end of this episode in the shootout with Hank, but uh, who just really held his own Opposite Cranston through the entire episode, especially in the rice in the rice and burrito scene, uh, and I thought they did a really good job there, uh, and and held the held the tension right up to the end uh, when he engaged in the gunfight with Hank. So I'm giving it to Tuco for this episode.
1: All right, my MVP vote for this week, I'm giving it to someone who is not yet on the board. He goes by the name of Walt Jr. No, obviously, I am kidding. <laughs> Walt Jr. doesn't even make an appearance in this episode. No, my no vote he does. Is he gonna... does very briefly. Oh, he He's, does? Uh,
0: isn't, he, isn't he making the... um. Isn't he making, oh gosh, the... is he
1: making breakfast?
0: No, I think he's making the po- <laughs> Not the vegan bacon. Oh, I the, think posters, he's the, the posters. the posters to find his yeah, dad. That's yeah, that's right. But that's it. Well,
1: then in, in that case, Walt Jr. definitely deserves some consideration. Actually, he doesn't. So I'm going <laughs> to give my vote to Hank for this episode. I just feel like it is, you know, Frank, Hank is front and center for the majority of the episode. I think he balances the serious moments with the humorous moments really nicely. And I just feel like it's a coming out episode of sorts. For him, we haven't really seen him in his element in this way yet, and I think it's a good sign of things to come from what we will see from Hank.
0: All right, I like it. So that's Hank's first vote. Believe it or not, I think he'll definitely be be climbing up the rankings soon as he assumes a more central role. And that's Tuco's fourth and uh, likely final vote. So he'll finish at least ahead of Crazy Eight in the standings. Currently tied with Skyler, but there's a good chance Skyler will move ahead by the time we, we wrap this up. So that's our MVP vote for today. Uh, thanks so much for listening to our discussion of season two episode two of uh, Breaking Bad. This I didn't mention this episode's called Grilled and I think that has a has a sort of you know multiple meanings here because uh, of Tuco grilling Walt and Jesse the burritos um, also of uh, Tuco perhaps grilling Walt and Jesse about what they're hiding from him um and maybe even as wikipedia suggests maybe even the grill in tuco's mouth that might be a little bit too far though i'm not sure about that one <laughs> yeah
1: i think it could mean multiple things
0: yeah um but thanks so much for listening you can uh listen to more of this next uh, probably week and a half two weeks we'll have the next one out um in the meantime if you're looking for podcast stuff go ahead and listen to other shows on the vernacular podcast network including the podcast which just last weekend josh celebrated your one-year anniversary of doing podcasts, right? That's Uh, right. 50 episodes, only missed two weeks, and those were planned vacations for things like Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? That's right, yep. So congratulations to you, Maureen. To our listeners, go check that out or anything else on the vernacular Podcast Network, and we'll be back soon. If we missed anything or you want to get in touch with us to to give us some feedback or ask questions, uh, give us some comments that we can read on the show, breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. Breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. For Breaking Pod, I'm Zach. And I'm Josh. Have a great week.